Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, my name is Savannah Breimer, I am your host of Killer Instinct. Go ahead and hit that follow button if you aren't already, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly episodes here every Wednesday and you are not going to want to miss it, so make sure you go ahead and hit that follow button. Okay, you guys, so for today's case, this is one that has been very highly requested. I ask you guys a lot on my social medias like Instagram and Twitter and things like that about what cases you want me to cover. I also have an email where you guys can reach out and tell me about either your thoughts on the cases that I've already covered or your requests for ones that you want me to cover in the future. That email is killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. But as I was saying, so whenever I reach out to you guys and I'm like, hey, what do you want me to cover on my podcast? This name was one that constantly, constantly came up, and that is the case of Elizabeth Olton. Now, I had never heard of this case. I never really knew anything about it, but once I started getting into it, it is absolutely horrible horrifying. Um, So we are just going to jump right on into it today. And yeah, if you know this case, if you're familiar with this case, then you know how crazy it is. But if this is a new case for you, then buckle up because it is about to get insane. So Elizabeth Olton was born on December 15th of 1999, and she lived with her mom in Jefferson City, Missouri, and she also lived with her two siblings, Anthony and Stephanie, and Elizabeth was the youngest out of her siblings. She was nine years old, and this is all happening in the year 2009. It was October 21st, 2009 to be exact, and on this specific day, Elizabeth had came home from school. It was a Wednesday, so she came Came home from school and while her mom was cooking dinner elizabeth was practicing her lines because she was actually in the school play so she was in her living room practicing her lines she was also hanging out with her siblings and just kind of having a family night in after school and it was around five o'clock when there was a knock on elizabeth's front door and it was elizabeth's neighbor emma So Emma was a little bit younger than Elizabeth. She was about six years old and she lived four houses down from where Elizabeth lived. So Emma was knocking on the door because she actually wanted to play with Elizabeth. She was asking Elizabeth if she could go over to her house and for them to have a little play date. And Patty, Elizabeth's mom, was pretty hesitant in the beginning because she was making dinner. It was a school night. She really didn't want Elizabeth going off and wandering about. So she told Elizabeth after many begs and pleads from the girls that she could go out for an hour and she had to be back by 6 o'clock p.m. on the dot. And the girls were really really excited so we're talking october and typically in october the sun usually sets at around 6 30 p.m and elizabeth was extremely afraid of the dark she had this huge fear of the dark so patty knew that elizabeth wouldn't risk having to be out past dark so there really wasn't any reason to worry about her staying out later than patty told her that she could so when six o'clock rolled around and elizabeth never ended up making it home patty was pretty surprised she ended up calling emma's house and emma actually lived with her grandma named karen brooke 
So Karen was the legal guardian for Emma and her three other siblings. So when Karen answered the phone, she told Patty that Elizabeth actually never came to her house that day and that she had not seen her at all. So because the girls lived so close, it wasn't uncommon for all the kids to play together, including Elizabeth's siblings, Elizabeth's older siblings. They would all play together. Emma, however, was already back and at her house, so this left Patty to question, where is Elizabeth? According to Patty, she said that when she heard that Elizabeth hadn't ever been to Emma's house in general, she said, quote, I just knew something wasn't right. They left together, and now their grandmother was telling me that she was never there. That's when I called the police, end quote. So the police arrived on the scene in about 15 minutes and they began their search right away. Whenever there's a child involved, I feel like we see this a lot. Police are much more inclined to do a search right away, to quickly start searching when it comes to a child. And because Emma was nine years old, everyone knew that she just didn't get up and disappear. Like she had to have gone somewhere. She had to be somewhere. And the fact that she wasn't home and the fact that she wasn't at Emma's, the only two places that she was supposed to be at, along with the fact that it was already dark outside now, like that just didn't sit well with anyone. So everyone started searching and there was a large forest and police knew that they needed to start here but they really didn't know how because the forest was very thick it was very large and huge and unkept and they really didn't know where to start and at first police were pretty adamant on the fact that foul play was not involved but again like i said elizabeth is nine years old no nine-year-old is just getting up and walking away because she wants to this was not like a runaway situation elizabeth didn't just up and decide to leave her own house it, the whole thing was very weird and just didn't sit right with Patty at all, rightfully so. So what police soon learned is that Elizabeth had a cell phone, and you may think that nine years old is way too young to have a cell phone, but in Elizabeth's case, this cell phone was the key to finding her. So police got in contact with her cell phone provider and they ordered what they call an emergency ping. Now, an emergency ping is, you hear about it a lot in true crime cases, and this is how police are able to figure out where someone's cell phone is basically and be able to track them through that so an emergency ping essentially collects the data from the signals that the phone is in to the nearest cell phone tower and when that happened the police were able to pick up three of the last pings on her phone and all of them were located in the general area of the woods and the forest everyone started searching for elizabeth and there was a large wooded area so large woods that was in between emma's house and elizabeth's house elizabeth's house was on one side of the woods and emma's house was on the other so now hours are just passing and passing by and we move on into the next day october 22nd and the police now had checkpoints set up all around the town police got into contact with all the local sex offenders brought in search dogs and dive teams and really every method of searching possible at that point of time but this unfortunately led them to nothing as well and at this point in time is when police really started to think like okay maybe foul play was involved what a concept so police did not know where to turn to at this point. They were kind of going in circles, not sure what to do, and the clock was ticking. So they decided to take another shot at the last known person to see Elizabeth that night. They decided to go back and talk to Emma one more time, and they were in for quite the surprise when they did.
So Emma was first interviewed by the FBI and she told authorities that her and Elizabeth were playing together and then about an hour later when Elizabeth had to go home, Elizabeth started walking back to her house and that was the last time that Emma ever saw her. So this was the initial story that Emma was giving to the authorities. So that story that Emma was giving obviously didn't give them too much to work with, but quickly after this, Emma started adding a little bit more. She said that while she was playing outside with Elizabeth, she had gotten stuck in some thorn bushes. And at that point, she started crying and started crying out for her sister, Alyssa. So Alyssa Bustamante, this is Emma's sister. It's Emma's half sister. And Alyssa was 15 years old at this time. And growing up, Alyssa did not have the most stable childhood. Her mom was always in and out of her life, battling with different drug addictions. And her dad was in jail. So on October 21st, when Elizabeth went missing, all of Alyssa's siblings were accounted for, except Alyssa. So police started talking to Alyssa and she said that she had skipped school on October 21st and told police that she knew that there was a young girl that was missing, but didn't really know anything about it. She said she heard about it, didn't know anything about it. So her behavior was really calm. And when being questioned, police thought that she was being very forthcoming with all of this information that she was giving because of the way that she had been expressing what happened. She didn't seem nervous or suspicious. She seemed really calm. But while the FBI was questioning Alyssa, investigators were also searching through the woods and came across what looked like a shallow grave behind Alyssa's house. And police decided to bring Alyssa to what they thought was a grave site where they thought they would find Elizabeth and they started digging, but only to find out that Alyssa said that she liked digging holes and burying dead animals in them when she found them because that is super not creepy. So the FBI decided to dive a little deeper and more personal, and they actually got consent to search Alyssa's room, and they could have never been prepared for what they found. So when they entered Alyssa's room, they found that her walls were covered in writing. Some of that writing was in regular pen ink, but some of it was in blood. She wrote dark poems on the walls, and when I mean dark, I don't mean in dark ink. I mean like a dark, twisted, like dark emotions, you know? scary thoughts that people usually don't write in general, let alone on their walls. Um, And she also had different drawings on her walls. And one of these drawings in particular was of a person and different parts of the person looked like they had slashes on it. So someone kind of went and drew slashes on this figure. And alongside this odd picture was the name Emma which is obviously Alyssa's sister. And these findings on the walls really showed authorities that something was not right with Alyssa. So they started talking to some of her friends, which Alyssa's friend said that she talked a lot about death, like a weird, overly normal amount. She also talked a lot about suicide and had attempted it on multiple different occasions. She talked about wondering what it would be like to murder someone, to see the life drain out of their eyes and be able to take the power and control away from them. About a week before Elizabeth's murder, Alyssa wrote in her diary, quote, if I don't talk about it, I bottle it up. And when I explode, someone's going to die, end quote. Also in her room, though, they'd found what looked to be like Alyssa's diary. And just when authorities thought it couldn't get any more disturbing or twisted, it did. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? 
Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. So Alyssa wrote a lot about death in this journal. She wrote about wanting to kill people, wanting to burn a house down. But what was even more telling to police is the last entry of her diary, which was on October 21st, the same day that Elizabeth went missing. This entry was actually scribbled out in blue ink, and the only thing left from the entry was the last sentence that read, quote, now I've got to go to church, lol, end quote. But what Alyssa probably didn't expect is that police were able to use a black light to try and make out what some of the words were saying, and luckily they were able to do so because this is what really pieced it all together. So the black light was able to unveil that the entry said, quote, I just killed someone. I strangled them and slit their throat and stabbed them. I gotta go to church now, dot, 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 LOL, end quote. Yeah, crazy. It's just, I don't know, it never gets easier talking about these types of cases because you read that and think that like, that's literally only something that you would think someone would write in some sort of movie or something like that. Like no one would ever actually write that. No one would ever actually say those things and be serious about it. But yeah, it never gets easier talking about it. And it never makes any more sense, I guess, which is not supposed to, but it's just really hard, especially with kids. So police were obviously coming to the conclusion that with the fact that no one was able to account for Alyssa's whereabouts along with the journal entries and her fascination with death, that she was the one responsible for Elizabeth's disappearance. So Elizabeth went missing on Wednesday, October 21st. So now fast forward to Friday, October 23rd. And Alyssa was brought into questioning by the FBI for an interrogation. When she was brought in by the FBI, they told her that not only did they recover her diary from her bedroom, but they read through it, including the entry that she scribbled out and they were able to read the entry she scribbled out because of blacklight. And this is when Alyssa knew that it was game over for her. So at first she blurts out this story that we've seen a lot, like a lot of people do this and they'll say, you know, yeah, like I was with Elizabeth, but she just fell and hit her head and then she just died immediately. But of course, obviously police knew that this was not the truth. So they told Alyssa that they were going to find Elizabeth's body and do an autopsy. And when they did that, this autopsy was going to uncover every single injury that Elizabeth obtained. So at that point, the police basically asked her point blank, they asked Alyssa point blank, was her throat cut? To which Alyssa responded, yes. Obviously, they knew to ask that because of her diary entry and because Alyssa was only 15 years old at the time, I know it's absolutely insane, um, she was in the room with Karen, who was her grandmother, and Karen broke 
down in tears when she heard this. She just went hysterical. And I can't even begin to imagine what that feeling is like to know that your granddaughter or any family member, for that matter, is capable of doing something like that. But at the same time, a lot of the signs were there. It just takes a matter of allowing yourself to see them. So Karen couldn't take being in the room and listening to the details. So she left the room and Alyssa began to tell the FBI that on October 21st, she herself sent Emma, her sister, to Elizabeth's house to convince Elizabeth to come and play outside. Once she had done this, she told Emma to go home, and then she took Elizabeth by her hand, and the two of them walked into the woods together. Alyssa was able to convince Elizabeth to do this because Alyssa kept telling her, I've got something really neat to show you. And mind you, it wasn't uncommon. Like Elizabeth knew Alyssa because all of the neighboring kids would play together. And so Elizabeth was familiar with Alyssa. So according to Alyssa, she said that once she got up to the hole that she had previously dug up, she strangled Elizabeth multiple times and then stabbed her in the chest about six or seven times before cutting her throat. After Alyssa confessed, she took police to where Elizabeth's body was, and police were able to recover her. So this was clearly premeditated. There was really no question about it to police or anyone else that this was very planned out. She had a pre-dug hole. She had sent her sister to go get Elizabeth for the sole purpose of murdering her. So Alyssa was arrested for first-degree murder, even though she was a minor. She met the legal requirements for a first-degree murder case, and that just goes to show you how gruesome this whole thing was. So the trial began almost two and a half years later after the murder, and it was about two years and four months that it took to begin this trial. So two years and four months pass after the murder, the trial begins. But the prosecution team for the trial gets an unexpected turn. So the defense basically filed a motion that said that because of Alyssa's age, because she was only 15 years old at this time, some of the questions that she was asked during her interrogation weren't allowed under Missouri law, which the judge agreed to, which is beyond, so beyond frustrating. But Alyssa's confession at this point was thrown out the window. And this was obviously so upsetting and devastating to Elizabeth's mom and everyone else, really, because this was such a brutal and premeditated murder that it should have been a no-brainer. Like, they had a confession. And the whole thing was just really upsetting. And during the trial, the defense team for Alyssa was trying to blame the medications that Alyssa was on for the reason of her attack, for her actions. And Alyssa was taking Prozac. And the defense was saying that too much of Prozac could have been the tipping point for Alyssa since her dosage was increased just two weeks before Elizabeth's murder. The prosecution, on the other hand, said that the FDA had never determined that Prozac caused people to go out and commit murder. So that argument wasn't the strongest. So at the time that this was all happening, there was also something going on with the Supreme Court that impacted this case a lot. So the Supreme Court was about to, keyword about, they were about to rule that life without parole for a minor is unconstitutional. So the prosecution thought that the best way to go about this was to offer a plea deal. Murder in the second degree with a range of 10 to 30 years in prison or life imprisonment with the chance of parole. And again, everyone else in the entire world who knew about this case was so furious because this was so clearly a first degree murder case. So Alyssa accepts the plea deal and she ends up getting life in prison with the chance of parole plus 30 years for armed criminal action. 
this in the armed criminal action was for something unrelated to this case. It was something that happened prior to this. But under the Missouri state law, Alyssa will serve 35 years and five months before she is granted the possibility of parole. And even her friends were concerned about this. One of Alyssa's best friends said that she didn't think that there was anywhere else Alyssa should be besides prison. Alyssa ended up addressing Elizabeth's family during her sentencing, and she said, quote, I cannot even understand what you guys are going through. I'm so sorry for that. If I could give my life to bring her back, I would, and I'm sorry, end quote. Elizabeth's sister, Stephanie, on the other hand, said that she does not think Alyssa could ever be sorry, and she says that she doesn't believe anything that she says. So that, my friends, is the Elizabeth Bolton case, and it is tragic and frustrating and heartbreaking and gruesome, and I could go on and on and on with adjectives, but I think you guys get the point of it. Um, I think that Alyssa should never be allowed outside of a prison cell again. I mean, it does raise the question of do you guys think that juveniles should be able to have a possibility of parole when they commit something like this, when they commit a murder? Like, do you think that they should have the possibility to see outside of a prison cell again? It just kind of comes down to, I guess, what you believe. And I do believe that certain things should be looked at twice and a certain actions as a child should be looked at again as far as should someone have the um should someone have the possibility of you know having a second chance but I do think that there are also certain times where I just can't imagine a second chance happening and this is one of those times this is really hard for me um not that this is about me whatsoever but this is hard for me to see that Alyssa in my opinion didn't get the full punishment when she committed a gruesome gruesome crime that was clearly premeditated clearly there's a lot going on with Alyssa just as a person um and unfortunately Elizabeth had to be a victim of that and I don't think that Alyssa should have the I don't I mean I don't know it I just don't think that she got the maximum punishment that she deserved um it will be definitely interesting to see what happens as far as you know in the future if she is freed or if she isn't but i would love to know your guys's opinions on this so definitely let me know again at killer instinct podcast at gmail.com so you can email me there with your case recommendations as well as your thoughts on today's case and that is it for me today you guys thank you so much for tuning into another episode of killer instinct make sure again as i said you go ahead and hit that follow button that way you will be notified every wednesday when we upload that is it for me today, you guys. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. I will see you next week and stay safe, you guys.